You're listening to What's New with Wired. This episode is brought to you by ShipStation. You know, some things take a lot of work, like sending little robots to far-off distant planets. And just as that's challenging, so too is running a successful e-commerce business, especially when there's so much to do. So I want to introduce you all to ShipStation. Now, I love using ShipStation because of its easy-to-use dashboard, which makes managing orders and printing labels a breeze and super smooth. Oh, and the customer service is just out of this world. It's exactly what you need to help grow your business. Sign up for your free 60-day trial at ShipStation.com slash technews. That's ShipStation.com slash technews. This podcast is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Each episode features insight you won't find anywhere else from the center of the conversation surrounding emerging technologies like AI. Right now on the podcast, you can hear a special episode where Brad Smith lays out Microsoft's vision for a vibrant marketplace driving the new AI economy. To hear more, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to What's New with Wired. It's Monday, May 16th. I'm Zeke Robison. Today, we're talking about French satellite operator UTELSAT, which has refused to stop Russia from using satellites it controls to broadcast state-run programming into the country. And make sure to listen to the end to find out what other Wired podcasts you can check out today. Not long after Russia steamrolled into South Ossetia in 2018, effectively annexing the territory of its southern neighbor, a group of Georgians banded together to set up a new Russian-language television station, a voice independent of the Kremlin, Canal Peak. With the help of Georgia's public broadcaster, they signed a five-year deal with French satellite operator UTELSAT to beam their station into the Caucasus. Just two weeks after they launched in 2010, UTELSAT notified Peak that they were dropped. Their space on the satellite had been promised to Gazprom Media Group, a chief pillar in Moscow's tightly controlled media system. Kanal Peak said in a statement at the time that the saga leaves Intersputnik and Gazprom Media Group, both of which adhere to the Kremlin's editorial line, with a de facto satellite transmission monopoly over Russian-language audience. Kanal Peak would acquire a spot on another UTELSAT a year later, but the station struggled and went dark in 2012. More than a decade on, Russia once again finds itself trying to consolidate its information hegemony in the region, and once again, UTELSAT is making it possible. But two experts on the satellite industry say it's time that Ukraine's allies step up and force UTELSAT to prioritize real reportage on the situation in Ukraine over Russia's state-backed disinformation. It's not normal that a French satellite is used for a propaganda war, says André Lange, one half of the Denis Diderot committee. If their proposals are adopted, it would be a bomb going off in the Russian media world, says Jim Filipov, a former satellite TV executive and ex-Kiev Post CEO. He's the other half of the Diderot committee. Formed in March, Filipov and Lange's committee has essentially only one recommendation. Unplug Russia's main satellite television providers from the UTELSAT satellites and replace them with stations carrying independent and credible journalism into Russia. That's the ultimate goal of our effort, to actually provide alternative media channels into the Russian television space that are not controlled by the Russian government, Filipov tells Wired. Russian television has been ubiquitously and unfailingly in favor of the war against Ukraine, dutifully promoting Moscow's official propaganda and, all too often, disinformation. 
Satellite television is especially important, particularly for areas with poor broadband connectivity. The Council of Europe estimates that about 30% of Russian households pay for satellite television. About half of the country has satellite dishes on their homes, Filipov says. Those dishes are largely calibrated to receive signals from five satellites, all managed by UTELSAT. The two most important satellites orbit at 36 degrees east, giving them coverage for much of Eastern Europe and Western Russia. One, 36B, is owned directly by UTELSAT. The other, 36C, is owned by the Russian government and leased to UTELSAT, which in turn leases space back to Russian television operators. The other three satellites are owned directly by Russia, but managed by UTELSAT and cover central, northern, and eastern Russia. The two Russian operators that rely on those satellites, Tricolor and NTV+, carry an array of Russian, European, and American channels, from the jingoistic news coverage broadcast by Channel One to networks owned by Disney. Several channels have disappeared from those packages in recent months. Some, like CNN, stopped broadcasting after new media censorship laws came into effect. Others, like Euronews, were forced off the air by the Kremlin. If UTELSAT removed the two Russian television companies from its satellite, the Diderot Committee says, it would replace them with a raft of free-to-air channels. It could create a great deal of creativity, Filipov says, and there's a lot of exiled Russian journalists who would love to be part of free television, which is getting into Russia. Filipov points to TV Rain, an independent Russian news station shut down by Moscow. Radio Free Europe Radio Liberty can also uplink to Eurosat's satellites and runs its own stations in the region. To access those channels, users would just need cheap receiver boxes, which are not hard to come by. The West has made an effort to deliver independent journalism in Russia. The UK government has upped funding to the BBC to counter Russian disinformation. Outlets like the New York Times have set up channels on Telegram, the social media platform hugely popular in Russia. And VPN providers have been setting up new tunnels through Moscow's internet filtering just as fast as the Kremlin can ban them. The simple fact is that a French-based satellite operator ensures that Russian-controlled media reaches millions of Russians. If UTELSAT decided to cancel that lease and offer the space to independent Russian and Ukrainian news outlets, it could disrupt Russian television broadcasting overnight. They certainly wouldn't be happy about it, Filipov says, but they might not have many good options to retaliate. Russia could try to disrupt the satellite signal. The Soviets jammed Radio Free Europe Radio Liberty throughout the Cold War, while more recently, Ethiopia has blocked satellite signals from a host of independent Western media outlets. Filipov says such a dramatic escalation is unlikely. It takes the information war to almost a hot place. Beyond signal jamming and Moscow's usual roster of cyber and information operations tactics, they might not have a better way to retaliate without cutting off their own television networks. I think they would try to make do with what they've got on 36C and let 36B go to, you know, the alternative media. One thing you've got to understand about satellites is the position. If it's an established position, it's like real estate. It matters an awful lot, Filipov says. If a satellite is positioned at 36 degrees east, he says, that means tens of millions of satellite dishes are fixed on that location. You can't just say, you know what, we're going to move to, you know, 118 degrees. Recalibrating all of those satellite dishes could take months, if not years, and millions of dollars. But Utelsat has been cool to the idea of breaking up with Moscow. Speaking to Danish news outlet Radar early this month, Utelsat CEO Eva Bernicke insisted that Utelsat would remain neutral. She told Radar that the decision of whether or not to exclude the Russian television providers would be one left to the authorities. 
In a statement to Wired, Utelsat reiterated that commitment to neutrality. With respect to any possible suspension for those Russian stations, the company iterated that it is guided by sanctions and the decisions of its competent regulatory bodies. The company points to RT France, which it stopped transmitting after a March 1st regulatory decision. If the European authorities impose new sanctions against Russian channels, we will stop their broadcast, the company said. It added, at this stage, no regulator or other competent authority has asked us to stop broadcasting private Russian television channels in Russia. Filipov and Lange have been turning their appeal to politicians, but with minimal effect. We sent letters to all French members of the European Parliament, Lange says. Not a single answer. How exactly Paris or Brussels might force Utelsat to block those Russian channels is an open question. Lange and Filipov say that if the European Union can ban the English-language Sputnik and RT stations from their airwaves, sanctions should have the power to remove Russian-language TV from their satellites. In May, European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen told the EU Parliament they would ban three new broadcasters in whatever shape or form, be it on cable, via satellite, on the internet, or via smartphone apps. Politico has reported that those three broadcasters are Russian-language news networks that reach Europe with some help from Utelsat's satellites. Utelsat told Wired, We are aware of the European Union's intention to sanction three Russian channels, two of which are broadcast on our satellites, and we are ready to immediately cease broadcasting them as soon as the corresponding European regulation is published. The United States recently slapped sanctions on three Russian-language TV stations, including NTV, the flagship station for provider NTV+, after concluding that they were spreading disinformation to bolster Putin's war. Those sanctions are likely to have an impact on their foreign revenue, but not on their Russian operations. Going after the satellites themselves would be a huge disruptive escalation. Moscow and Kyiv are already taking aim at each other's satellite communications. Western intelligence agencies say in the hours before its invasion, Russian hackers took aim at American satellite provider Viasat. Although the primary target is believed to have been the Ukrainian military, other customers were affected, including personal and commercial internet users, the UK's National Cyber Center said in a joint statement with the US and EU. Earlier this week, just ahead of Russia's Victory Day celebrations, which offered Moscow a prime opportunity to project strength amidst its stalled war, the state special communications service of Ukraine announced that television broadcast from the Russian satellite to the occupied Ukrainian regions was unexpectedly turned off. As Wired has reported, Ukraine is aggressively deploying American and European-provided Starlink terminals while Russian satellite communications remain troubled. European cooperation isn't limited to Utelsat's satellite television. Utelsat owns two subsidiaries in Russia, including home internet provider Connect. In turn, the Russian state satellite operator owns a small stake in Utelsat itself. Corporate documents say most of the 3.62% ownership stake corresponds with the Russian Satellite Communications Company, or RSCC. Meanwhile, some two dozen countries make up the Moscow-based Intersputnik Consortium, primarily in Eastern Europe, the Middle East, and Asia. Its members include the Czech Republic, Romania, Germany, and the Ukraine. In 2020, France announced its intentions to join Intersputnik. Intersputnik managed part of the Soviet Union's satellite fleet before being privatized after the fall of the USSR. Moscow's influence on the organization is fairly apparent. The chair of its board is a senior civil servant in the Russian government. As the West continues its messy divorce with Russia, an organization like Intersputnik could allow Russia to launch and maintain satellite service, underpinning not just television, but internet service, military communications, and geospatial imaging. 
The Diderot Committee's Lange and Filipov hope that this current fight could enable more open flows of information in the future. That's what informs the tongue-in-cheek name of their group. As its website explains, on July 6, 1762, just nine days after the coup d'état of June 28 that put her on the throne, Catherine II invited the French philosopher Denis Diderot to come to Russia in order to publish L'Encyclopédie, which had been banned in Paris. Diderot accepted her invitation and arrived in St. Petersburg in October of 1773. Had Russia not pushed back against France's censorship, the Encyclopédie, one of the most important works of the Enlightenment, may have never been published. Make sure to check out our other Wired podcasts. Today on Wired Business, Miami's Bitcoin conference left a trail of harassment. Checking in on Wired Science, delegates at the United Nations have begun forging new rules for space. And on Wired Security, the case for war crime charges against Russia's sandworm hackers. Listen to these stories and more at wired.com podcasts. Thanks for listening to Wired. Check back in tomorrow to hear more stories from Wired.com. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.